Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Someone once said that one would go mad if one took the Bible seriously. But to take the Bible seriously, one must already be mad. Comments like these are often made by those who read difficult to understand verses and question why they're included in the Bible at all. Yet when you enter the phrase, what does the Bible say about on Google, you get about 921 million different search options to choose from. So how do we reconcile this interest we have in learning from the Bible with some of the harder to understand passages in it? That's what we explore in our current series, Say What? How Not to Read Your Bible. So let's dig deeper and continue the upward journey. We're in a series called what? Say what? You're about getting used to that or about getting sick of that. But we're doing a series called Say What? And we are examining some things in the Scripture, some controversies with the Scripture that our modern world has that causes us to say, say what? We've looked at sexism, the accusation that the Bible is a sexist book. We looked last week at shrimp, not really all about shrimp, but we looked at the Old Testament laws that some people say are kind of crazy, and we worked on that. Today, we're going to look at science. Do we have to choose between science and the Christian faith? Some people say no. There's an evolutionary biologist, uh, avowed atheist, opponent of faith of any kind. He's written a book called The God Delusion. He believes God is a delusion. His name is Richard Dawkins, and he's heard by many people, and he made this statement. He said, you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. That is an absolute lie. It is an absolute arrogant statement to look back over centuries of thinkers and scientists who've done far more than he could do and to say those who are of faith have no scientific mind and have no intelligence. It's an absolute lie, but here's what's happened. The world is always, and the enemy is always trying to put lies on us, to put us in a bad position. And if you buy that lie and think, I have to abandon science, I have to abandon intellect, I have to abandon reason and just throw all that away and serve Jesus in absolutely blind faith. If you believe it's either or, you're going to be in an uncomfortable position forever as you live your life and as you try to win other people to Jesus Christ. When they ask you, where did the dinosaurs come from? You're going to get derailed. When they ask you questions that you don't fully know the answers to, as they don't either, you're going to feel in a position of weakness. You're going to feel like you can't share your faith. And I want to help you with that today. I want to help a couple of groups of people today. The groups are this. I want to help those of you who are here who, who love sharing your faith and are dealing with people who ask questions that you can't respond to. And, and it may disappoint you to know that I'm not going to give you all the answers to their questions today. I'm going to hopefully help you to see things in a little bit different light. There are also a group out there of genuine seekers who are asking questions about science versus the Scripture. And I hope to help some of you today to understand the Bible a little bit better. Hebrews 11.3 
tells us the position of the Christian faith, and it's pretty powerful. Hebrews chapter 11, if you know your Bible very well, you know that Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith, and it teaches us about faith and the exercise of faith. And it says this, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. I want you to hear this in the beginning of this message, and we're going to get back to it again at the end of this message. But it says this, by faith we understand. I have seldom seen someone in my life come from understanding to faith. But I've seen many people move from faith to understanding. I've seldom seen people overcome an intellectual hurdle in their lives and all of a sudden say, well, that just settles it. Now I believe in Jesus Christ. But I've seen a whole lot of people who've had an experience with Jesus Christ. I've seen people whose lives have been turned around. I've seen people that have been set free. I've seen people that have been healed. I've seen people that Jesus came in and did things in their lives that they couldn't do. And as they experienced him personally, and that's what really, can I just get to the bottom of it today? we got to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And once they meet him, all the other questions are not as important. Do you understand that? Once they meet him, all the other struggles fall into place. It's about him. Faith leads us to understanding. So do you have to pick science or scripture, one to the elimination of the others? No, it's not true. Now, we don't live in a unique time. We think these times are unique, but understand, we're facing some of the same struggles we faced down throughout history. Science has been, scientists have been opposed to the church a lot. There was a guy that lived in the 1500s and into the 1600s named Galileo, and and the church was one of his fiercest critics. Galileo had such a tension with the church that he was tried. He was literally put on trial by the church, and they put him under house arrest for the last decade of his life. Galileo was under house arrest. I read that and started thinking about it. I thought, how cool is that? Pastor can arrest somebody. I'm not suggesting we go back to that, but... I'm just saying there are days that I wish I could arrest a few people, but we don't do that anymore, and I'm sure that's a good thing. Galileo was arrested. He was under house arrest the last decade of his life, and what was his crime? Here was his crime. He taught that the earth revolved around the sun. He taught that the sun was the center of our solar system, and all the rest of the planets orbited around the sun. Wait a minute. He was right. Science was right. And some people say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, This proves then that science disproved the Bible. No, it doesn't. When you understand how to read the Bible and interpret the Bible, you will understand science didn't disprove the Bible at all. A couple of verses that the church of his day used against Galileo, one of them's in Ecclesiastes 1.5. It says this, Solomon wrote this. He said, the sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. And the church of his day thought that that was a statement on orbital dynamics. They thought that was a scientific statement to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the sun orbited around the earth. Let me tell you, Ecclesiastes 1.5 was not a demonstration of science and was not an attempt by Solomon to explain the scientific process of orbit 
It was simply to describe the passage of time in poetic language. They also went to 1 Chronicles 16.30. It says, Let all the earth tremble before him. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. And they argued against Galileo, saying the Bible says that the earth doesn't move, that it's the sun that rotates around the earth. But understand, the statement in Chronicles is a statement about the power and the sovereignty of God, that the earth can tremble in His presence, but doesn't tremble in the sight of anybody else. It's a statement about God's power. It's not a description of orbit. Science has never disproven the Bible. It has, though, revealed some of our faulty interpretations of the Bible. But that does not mean the Bible is not true. I believe this, folks. I have a high view of Scripture. You're going to be challenged to have any higher view of Scripture than I do. I believe the Bible is inspired by God. I believe it is God's Word. I believe it is inerrant, saying that I do not believe the Bible has any errors, scientific or otherwise. I believe it is true. I believe we can base our lives on it. Make no mistake about that. But sometimes we misinterpret the Bible. We try to make it answer questions that it did not intend to answer. A wise man said this, said the Bible doesn't teach us primarily how the heavens go. It teaches us rather how to go to heaven. You understand, I don't believe there's an error in the Bible at all. But I believe the primary purpose of the Bible is not to explain science. The Bible's purpose is to point us to a Savior. Did you get that? The Bible is not a scientific book that explains all about the creation of the world in deep detail. Its purpose is to point us toward a Savior. Therefore, the Bible should never be judged on the basis of criteria that it was never meant to answer. People want to paint the Bible in a corner. Now, let's look at an example really quick of the Bible not explaining the science. Now, before I get into this, you've got to understand something. My wife tells me this, and it's true. My sense of humor never got out of middle school. Anybody else? Let's be honest. Part of the reason you're here is that yours didn't either. When Pastor Greg and I get together, his sense of humor is a little less developed than mine. So when Greg and I get together and start cutting up, my wife will tell me, and Greg, you're in seventh grade. She tells Greg he's in fifth grade, just so you'll know. I'm going to give you a verse, and some of you will love this, jumping back to the old King James in the book of uh, Song of Solomon. Are you ready for this one? It's describing love. Some of you are nervous right now. Song of Solomon 5, 4 in the King James. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and now it describes love. And my bowels were moved for him. <laughs> I, I warned you. I find that pretty hilarious. In fact, uh, the, the church put up a, digitally this week, uh, one of the things they put on Facebook and Instagram was, what's your Bible verse that brings you joy? 
and I really, really wanted to put that one, but I thought <laughs> that would not be appropriate. I'm the pastor of the church. I probably should not do that. Uh, I want y'all to know, if I wasn't the pastor of the church, uh, I would say things that, uh, I don't know, I, I would get in trouble more than I do. The Bible did not say our modern 21st conception of what falling is. You know, they know today things about the chemical reaction in your brain. The Bible did not say my hypothalamus was engaged producing dopamine and adrenaline with an accompanying rise in cortisol and a lowering of my serotonin. Science today has literally proved when you're in love, you're just a little bit crazy. It's literally proven that when you're in love, you lose your appetite. Why in the world would the writer in Hebrew and then translated accurately into the King James say, my bowels move for him? To us today, that means you need a clean up on aisle five, you know, there's a big problem. <laughs> He's got to change clothes. He's so in love. I'm sorry. I told my wife, you've never loved me like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. There are people out there who think you shouldn't laugh in church. Uh, yeah, they're not here now. Um, why does it say that? Why does it put it in those terms? It's critical to understand. It put it in terms that the people of the day could understand. And that's where a lot of our conflict comes between the Bible. It was written, specifically the Old Testament, was written to people 3,500 years ago that had absolutely no understanding of modern science. They were not asking the questions of the Bible that we would ask today. And it was written to them on a level they could understand. And God did not try to straighten out their science. He got His message through to them in their limited understanding. Big debate many years ago uh, was over uh, a lawyer. There was a trial over evolution in Dayton, Tennessee. Clarence Darrow fought against William Jennings Bryan. It's called the Scopes Trial. It was over the teaching of evolution, which I completely reject evolution completely, and the Bible does too. But it was a trial there, and Clarence Darrow put William Jennings Bryan on the stand, and he, one of the questions he posed to him is he said, do you believe that in the Old Testament where it says Joshua commanded the, the sun to stand still, do you believe the sun stood still? Because we know today in science that the sun's not actually moving, that it's the earth that's turning. And he really put uh, Jennings Bryan on his heels. Let me explain that to you. That's not a scientific error in the Bible. We know scientifically today the earth moves, but simply it's just as simple as this. And people sometimes hate simple answers because they don't sound smart enough. But from Joshua's perspective on earth, the sun did stand still. This is not a description of the scientific processes of the universe. It's simply saying, he said, stand still. And from his perspective, it did. Understand this, folks. There's a lot that the Bible doesn't tell us. A whole lot. And we don't need to get tripped up by these things. God writes in terms and put His words in terms that the original people could understand. And the message came through loud and clear. You see, the Bible answers the questions that its original audience was asking. 
Now, most of the conflict between Bible and science comes in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation account. That's where most people are going to try to press you. They're going to try to back you into a corner with these questions. They're going to say, how is it that the earth can seem to us to be billions of years old? And when you do the math back through the genealogies of the Bible, it seems like it's only about 6,000 years old. And if you're not a student of this, some of you are, some of you are not. If you're not a student of this, you could go, oh, whoa. They'll ask you, how could? They, they talk about the sequencing of the days of creation, if you've ever read Genesis, and say, how is it possible the earth could hang in the sky if the sun had not yet been created? Some of you are going to hate this answer. But I'm going to tell you, if I believe that God spoke the worlds into existence... That's not a big deal to him. Are you with me this morning? If God said, let there be light and there was light, if he wants to make the sun after the earth, he can tell the earth, you just hang there for a day or two. How were the 24-hour days? How were there just 24-hour days? The Bible speaks in that language before the sun was even created. I want you to understand this. When you get asked those questions and struggle with those questions, and those are good things to study. Those are good things to understand. And if you have people that are asking you questions about that, study it, search it out. There's some theories about that. There's some ideas about that that may help you and them understand, and that's okay. But those were not the original questions being asked by the audience of Genesis. Moses wrote the book of Genesis to the children of Israel After they had come out of Egyptian slavery, they'd been slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. Egypt was a polytheistic society, meaning they worshipped many gods. The Egyptians worshipped the sun, the moon, the Nile River. They worshipped animals. You could just about take your pick of gods. The Egyptians were really polytheistic. Everybody could pick their own gods. By the way, you've read the story of the plagues that came against Egypt The plagues were not just random events. The plagues were messages to the children of Israel and to the Egyptians that he is God and their false gods were subject to him. They worshiped the sun, darkness God brought to the earth to say, I'm above all that. They worshiped the cattle, the cattle got disease. They worshiped the Nile, it turned to blood. God is saying, I'm God and these gods are not. And that's the primary message he's getting forth and getting out in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. I am the one true God and the earth is subject to me. I spoke it into existence. Here are the questions they were asking that Genesis does answer. They were asking, is our God the one true God? They needed to know that because they were leaving a land of security. It was slavery, but it was also security for them. And they were walking out into a wilderness and they needed to know, is our God the one true God? They needed to know this. Will the gods of Egypt come after us and kill us? Will Ra, the sun god, punish us later? What about the Egyptian creation stories we have heard? Are they true? They wanted to know, can our God sustain us on this journey? The creation account in Genesis, as accurate as it is, I believe Genesis 1 and 2 are inerrant as, as I do the rest of the Bible. 
But here's the main questions Genesis 1 and 2 were given to answer. That God is the one true God. That you are created in His image. I'm going to talk about a couple theories that people have that I don't necessarily agree with, but do help some people. But I'm going to talk about one from the start that we completely reject as Christians and we cannot hold if we hold an inerrant view of the Scripture. It's called theistic evolution. And it says that God created, there, there's all kind of belief across the spectrum of theistic evolution, but one of the extreme ones is this that I think is absolutely opposed to anything in Scripture. You know how it says we came from a primordial soup? Man, that takes a lot of faith right there. To go from a soup to us. Somebody said evolution is like saying a tornado came to Hendersonville, blew over a junkyard of scrap metal, and when the tornado moved on, there's a fully functioning 747 left behind. just not true. Science, well, you want to talk science? Science will tell you that left to itself, things move from order to disorder. They do not get better. They do not get more ordered. Nothing is getting more ordered today. How many of you need to go home and mow your grass? I went to a guy one time, he had created this beautiful garden. He'd created it out of a weed field, field and uh, he'd created a beautiful garden. He had plants, he had pathways, and a guy looked at it one day and he said, Bud, what a beautiful garden God has given you. He said, you should have seen this place when God had it to himself. <laughs> Wasn't the way God originally intended the, our earth to be. But because of sin, earth moves from order to disorder all the time. And God was telling them, you're create. Why do I not believe theistic evolution would say that God created, and this is a way to try to reconcile their views with the Scripture. And there's some views that cannot be reconciled to me in my mind. Said that God created the soup and then allowed the process of evolution to move, and we evolved out of the soup, and God is still our creator. I got a problem with that. The Bible has a problem with that. Because the Bible said, you and I, mankind, male and female, we are created in His image. He made us directly. Can I get an amen? He made you. He created you. He formed you. He breathed the breath of life into you. Understand, God made us. That's what Genesis is telling us. Genesis is telling us God is powerful enough to take care of you and sustain you. And Genesis is telling us that the sun, the moon, and the animals are not God. Your God is God. He created all those things. It's presenting a high view of God. I love the statement in the Apostle Creed. We believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Now you say, you ask these questions. Pastor, how old is the earth? I'm not sure. I don't know. Some of you may not love that, but I don't know. I tend to lean toward a younger earth than much of science does today. If you 
believe in theistic evolution and that we came from the soup, you've got to have billions and billions of years for that to happen. So if you believe that, you've got to push toward a really, really old earth. I'm more of a young earth creationist myself. You may not be. It's okay. You don't have to see everything exactly as I do. As I do. There's a theory out there, some love it, some hate it, called the gap theory. How old is the earth? There's the gap theory that says between Genesis 1 verse 1 when it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 where it says the earth was without form and void, that that there could have been billions of years. I don't have to have that, but some people believe that. And some people use that to reconcile their views of modern science with Scripture. I don't agree with the gap theory, but I believe there are sincere people out there who follow that who still believe in biblical inerrancy. I don't believe you can toss out the whole scripture if you don't believe in the gap theory. I'm not going to toss the whole Bible out because I can't reconcile something modern science says with something the Bible says. Because there's a lot that God didn't tell us. And there's a whole lot that I don't know. And I'm humble enough to say, I don't have this all figured out. Amen. People say, what about 24-hour days? How can you have a 24-hour day without the sun? Well, if God spoke the worlds into existence, he doesn't need a 24-hour day. He can say, boom, and it's done. By the way, people think the Big Bang is an assault on the Christian faith. Could I argue with you a little bit this morning if you believe that? I think the Big Bang is awesome. I love the Big Bang. I'll be like, what in the world? For many, many years, scientists and atheists said that everything that is evolved from nothing and really, really, really slowly it just built and built and slowly, slowly it built until we finally slowly got to what we have today. Then somebody did some more research and said, no, the universe was born in a bang. I like that. Because the Bible said, God said, let there be light. Bang, there was. Science is pointing back to the Christian faith now. Can I hurt your feelings now a little bit? Can I just get ugly now? Anything you believe about the origin of the universe, you're going to have to have some faith. None of us were there to see it. You're going to have to choose whether you believe the speculations of some whose motives sometimes can be questioned. Anybody been familiar with any junk science in our day? I told you I was going to stir the pot a little bit. Anybody familiar with any science today that has a motivation and agenda? This is not true of all scientists. But some of them, their research already has a conclusion determined. And in fact, some of them, they're paid to make sure that it lines up with that conclusion. You're going to put your faith in that? 
You're going to put your faith in things that people say that want to destroy the Christian faith? Okay, pastor, what do I do if I can't figure out how old the earth is and how the 24-7 all works? By faith, we understand. Now, it's not a blind leap. I'm not leaping off without evidence. I wish God had done a little more explanation. Think about this. Got the whole Bible, and like two chapters are given to our origins. There are other verses sprinkled around that tell you about it, but two chapters, I'm like, oh, God, couldn't you have written a whole book about that? You know, just go ahead and finish out Genesis with that. Explain all to us. God didn't tell us everything. We don't understand everything as much as we think we know. We know a lot. Science has done some amazing things. When the astronauts first went out to the moon, they predicted to the second the time they would go around the edge of the moon and their communications would be cut off. They had it to a second. And I'm impressed by that. I like science. I think science is our friend, true science. You know, for many years they thought, we've got the Bible Archaeology is one of the things they always use to try to disprove the Bible. And in, in John tells a story of Jesus going to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And there's a man laying there with a mat who's been there for, I think, uh, 38 years. And he's lying there. And, and John explicitly describes the Pool of Bethesda. And Jesus goes there and it says the Pool of Bethesda is a place and said it has five porches. And for many, many years... They had never discovered the pool with the five porches. So they said the Bible's a lie. It's not true. There was never such a place. And just a few years ago, they dug a little deeper in the right spot. They found the pool. Guess how many porches were there? You guessed it, five. For years, they said history cannot prove that King David existed because we never dug anything up with David's name on it. For years, King David didn't exist. That's how far science will go. Until just a few years back, they dug something up. David. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we have to uncover. And for us to point a finger at the creator of the universe is quite an arrogant statement. Richard Dawkins didn't have the truth on this. Faith leads to understanding. Say, preacher, I need some evidence. Okay. I just told you faith was not a blind leap in the dark. You want some evidence? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, I want you to understand this and hear me. I'm just going to preaching today. I want you to understand that Our Christian faith doesn't rise and fall on us being able to reconcile everything that science says with the book of Genesis. We don't have to be able to explain all that. There's some things science will say that are far-fetched. There's some things we don't know that we can understand. But our faith does not rise or fall with that. But our faith does rise and fall on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen? If the earth's a little older or a little younger than we think it is, my faith's still good. Amen?
But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we need to go home right now. If Jesus is not risen, Paul said, our faith is useless. You want to talk about evidence. Some of you who want to dig into science and some of your friends who want to dig into all that stuff 3,500 years ago or longer, here's what I want you to tell them to do. I want you to tell them to just stop and take a break for a minute and research for a little while the evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And it is staggering the amount of evidence that says he truly rose. Let me just tell you this, friends. If a guy, a teacher, can heal the sick, raise the dead, open blinded eyes, love people, live a sinless life, he's got my attention. If a guy can predict his own death and resurrection, which, by the way, was so unthinkable, his disciples couldn't even believe it. I always say this at Easter. Why didn't they have a grandstand built outside the tomb? You could have sold tickets and funded the early church right out of that right there. (laughs) Sorry, that's humor, humor. It was so astounding, they couldn't even believe it. Scientifically, you want to battle young earth, old earth, 24-7, whatever. I got a more astounding fact. A guy who was crucified and buried and wrapped up and put behind the stone came out of his tomb on resurrection morning. And why do I believe that? I have faith and I've met him. He's come to my heart and come to my life and I've met him. But there's also evidence all over that he really did. The tomb was empty. They never found a body. He personally appeared to over 500 people at one time. And the disciples gave their lives for this belief. And the early church rose to where just in a few hundred years, Christianity was all over Rome. And today it's all over the world. The evidence is in Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen. In one of the greatest match, I'll come on, start playing something, or I'm going to keep going. I'll never quit, man, if you don't come out. We're looking at launching a podcast. You know, I'm cutting out lots of stuff from these sermons. All these say what's. I've started like 15 pages and cut it to seven. So we're looking at starting a podcast. And on our podcast, we're looking at answering some deeper questions and deeper conversations in some of these subjects. So you might like that. The year I was born was 1968. It's a long time ago. It's one of the worst years in American history. 1968 was a rough year for America. Y'all have lived through a really tough year in American history? How about world history? 2020 will go down as one of the toughest years for the world. Before that, most historians would tell you post-Civil War, 1968 was one of the worst years in American history. Uh, Division, polarization, the year I was born... The United States was terribly polarized, fighting against each other all the time. The racial tension was there, just like it is today. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. The nation was in turmoil. There was a bright spot to 68, Christmas Eve of 68. The first lunar mission went up. First men to orbit the moon were orbiting the moon Christmas Eve of 1968. And I love this. One of the great things they did, they, they were trying to figure out what to say. You know, when you have these astounding historical moments, you've got to say something. They're going around the moon, and they saw the earth rise on the other side of the moon. 
And I'd love to see that. Don't know that I want to make the trip, but I'd love to see it. As the earth rose, they decided on their own. One sponsored, nobody told them. One of the friends of the astronauts' wives came up with this, and they said, that's absolutely perfect. As they orbited the moon and they saw the earth come up on live television with all of earth, December 24, 1968, they said this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. For just a moment, the world was just united together. Somebody wrote, uh, Frank Borman was the commander of that mission. Somebody wrote him a note. He said, of all the letters I ever got, this was the best one. One that stood out in my mind. Wrote a letter and the lady wrote him said, you saved 1968. Amen. At our moment of highest scientific achievement, what did we do? We honored God. Oh, that we could be that again. Oh, that we could be that again. Oh, Jesus, make it so that we can be that as a nation again to honor you in this earth. Amen. Wouldn't you love to see that again? It's only about six months later we landed on the moon. I believe God put his hand. I'm crazy enough to believe that. God put his hand on that program because of the acknowledgement of him. Guess what happened when they, oh, Matt, you better play a little louder. (laughs) Play it, Matt. Play it, Matt. Six months later, and you like, oh, don't encourage me, don't encourage me. Uh, July 69, just the next year, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong land on the moon. You know the first thing they did? Buzz Aldrin broke out a little packet. He had brought communion, wine, and bread from his church. And the very first food that was ever consumed on the moon was Holy Communion by Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong acknowledging God at our moment of highest scientific achievement. Probably still the greatest scientific achievement in history and God was right in the middle of it because there were people of faith. We can still be that today. Amen. Faith and understanding together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray today. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that You are the God of this universe, that you spoke it into existence, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that we don't have to get mired down in controversy with people over these questions, that we don't have to figure it all out, that we can know that you are the one true God. And I pray for today, God. I pray for people who struggle with these questions. And I pray, God, you'll push them to the resurrection to point them to Jesus, that they'll find him. I pray for people who want to share their faith and struggle deeply with it, with these questions. I pray today for them that you would give them the strength and the courage to point people to you. And I pray, Jesus, that your presence would just overshadow us in such a way that when people meet us, they'll sense you, Jesus, and know you, Jesus, and have many of their questions settled by meeting you face to face. Would you just stand to your feet right now, would you please? And I just ask... Please stand. Keep your heads bowed for a minute. I would ask across this congregation and online, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, today, I want to say yes to the Jesus that rose from the dead. I want to say yes to knowing him. I won't embarrass you, but could I just see your hand? Could you lift it up high? Online, there's a button there you can press that says yes to Christ. Let's celebrate today people saying yes to Jesus Christ, to Savior and Lord. Can we do that right now? Just ask him, Jesus, 
come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I turn from my past. I turn from my struggle. I turn from my sin and from my shame. And I turn to you, Jesus. And I follow you today with all my heart and all my life. Turn to him. Follow him. And I praise God that you've made that decision today. All right. Love y'all. Thank you for being here today. Let me bless you this morning. I'm going to bless you with the words of Paul from Philippians 3.10. That you may know him. That you may know him, Jesus. That you may know him in the power of his resurrection. Oh, God, may power flow through upward today. And everybody that goes out of here, your power to touch our lives and those around us. The power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. May you know today that when you suffer for doing good, you're entering into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. So you be blessed today by knowing him and the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now I commission you now in the power of the Holy Spirit, go out of this place and take the gospel, take the story of Jesus all over your world. Amen. You're sent. Love you. Love you. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.